Hello folks and welcome back to the Fashion Founder Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I'm your host Charlotte and I am a fashion business consultant and I help founders to start and scale their sustainable fashion business. For today's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Sophie Blakeman, the founder of the fashion brand Babetta. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me. So before we go into your brand and how you got started, could you just give the listeners a super quick intro into yourself as the founder? Of course, yeah. So I'm Sophie, solo founder of The Better, which is luxury women's wear. I created the brand while I was at uni, so I graduated uni this year, early, not this year, last year now, um, so early in 2023. Um, and yeah, I made the brand while I was at uni and then I've just been doing it ever since. How did you find navigating the final year of university and building a brand? Because they're both kind of high demand yeah, both going on. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was tricky at parts, but what did help is I could do the brand for my university project. So I did fashion branding at uni, so it related quite a bit, and I actually made the brand as my project. So it was kind of two birds, one stone. Um, so it wasn't bad. After I feel like it's more once I've finished uni, now I've gone into full time work doing the brand. That's thrown me off a bit, but. Yeah, uni wasn't wasn't too bad. There were days where, yeah, it felt like a lot, but at the same time, uni helped me with the brand, so. I guess it probably kept you quite accountable as well, because I think when I speak to founders who are just getting started, it can sometimes be a bit of a false start. You know, they, they're doing their research, they're doing their development, and then they might have, you know, a break because they go on holiday or there's things happening, life happens, <laughs> and it kind of, that beginning phase can sometimes be slow but I think when you've got something to keep you accountable like this is my degree exactly, it kind yeah. of keeps you going forces <laughs> you to do it I remember doing the business plan as like my essay and it had to be a 10,000 word um essay of some sort and I did the business plan so I thought right this business plan's got to be done haven't got a choice you know like essays normally put them off but obviously you've got <laughs> that line got to be done so yeah it was quite helpful actually in that aspect I suppose oh that's fantastic so I guess let's start from the beginning you recently celebrated the first birthday of Babetta which is awesome would you be able to tell us what made you start your fashion brand and obviously you said that this was part of your university degree and it was very much going towards your your final outcome of your graduate year but did you always want your own fashion business? Yeah, so I think the thing I really always wanted to do was work for myself. So I think my non-negotiable has always been work for myself, be successful. And I never knew how. I just thought that's what I'm going to go and do. Um, I think I really wanted to do fashion. It was probably in high school. So I did um, like a photography course and I took like a fashion route on it. And I thought, right, I really want to go into fashion. Um, and then it probably wasn't until uni that I thought, a fashion brand is what I want to do so yeah I suppose I've always sort of had an idea it seems like it's very often a dream for young girls that oh, I want to have a fashion brand I want to work for myself I want to have and when we envision that we think of maybe like a little boutique like you know we think of bricks and mortar and then as time has gone on and you know the the online world has become you know such a central point of what we do and how we consume I think so many business owners are just realizing that they can actually have a passion and make money 
online without having to you know invest in property and you know pay rent and overheads and all of that kind of stuff so in your content you talk about your grandma being a big inspiration behind your brand and ultimately what kind of got you started in your creative identity would you be able to share a little bit more on that of course, yeah. So my grandma was called Babetta Blakeman herself, obviously, hence where the name for the brand comes from. Um, and I try and sort of include so her values into the brand and I try and sort of carry that through the brand. So values of like strength, independence, kindness. Um, the thing about my grandma is she was always in a suit, like she was always in tailored trousers, a waistcoat, even if she was just chilling in the house, she was just very, very put together all the time um but in quite a nice sort of like effortless way that's what I try and sort of include in the brand and bring down from her so I can sort of continue that legacy through Babetta. I love that you say that she was never kind of seen in in anything other than a suit I think it's definitely a, a generational thing and we I think we prioritize comfort more than we ever did and with yeah. the rise <laughs> We totally do, especially after the pandemic as well. It's like, I don't live in anything other than my leggings most of the time. Literally. (laughs) I think it's looking at how I can... So she was like the better woman, if you like. And it's kind of looking at how I can modernise that. So like, what would the better woman be wearing today? So post-pandemic, post, you know, comfort and Ugg boots and everything, what would she be wearing? So it's sort of including that tailoring aspect, I suppose, but into today's world society so yeah looking at ways I can do that I think people are seeking that a lot more that kind of like soft tailoring look and being able to style a tailored pant or a tailored jacket you know blazers are everywhere at the moment I think they always have they come back around each year but maybe with a slightly different cut or a slightly different shape and I think we're definitely doing a lot of that pairing a more tailored look with you know maybe a more casual like a juxtaposition you, you know you're seeing people with blazers and leggings and it's being able to kind of get that comfort ball still look, still look put definitely. together at the same time yeah definitely I love watching those videos where they go kind of through fashion through the years and you yeah, see yeah. slowly but surely like as denim became popular and that we've just got more and more casual so I think being able to you know nod back to those previous years when we did look more you know the power suit was very much um you know a a very kind of monumental moment in fashion and being able to dress that in a maybe more modern sense which I think is really cool yeah exactly sort of pulling those pieces into today when you were designing your collection were you who did you have in mind was it you were you designing your pieces based on I am my own customer or did you have to really dig deep to think okay what would the a better girl want yeah I think it kind of comes naturally because I would consider myself like in the target audience why I'm sort of designing for myself um but I think because the brand is I wanted to be very timeless and I really want to target women who are looking to become the best version of themselves like they want to push themselves and things I feel like it actually ranges across quite a wide sort of age range and customer basis so it's also looking at 
different customers. So there's probably about five different customers I could pick up on and kind of looking at pieces that will suit them. So yeah, I think it's kind of what I like, but I also ask kind of like friends or I'll do some sort of like research on customers and things like that. So yeah. And then I do always think about um, my grandma as well when designing and things or putting things out there. And I think would that align with her and her values? So yeah, I suppose think of quite a few things really. Yeah, I often say to founders that I work with when thinking about your consumer and kind of the ideal demographic who you're going to be designing for and selling to is to not just put your consumer in a box and have this one persona. And I know we kind of look to these like avatars and completely designing their whole demographic. Where do they live? What's their disposable income? Are they married? Where do they go on holiday? Kind of identifying who this person might be. But I often say to look outside of that and think more of sort of psychographic aspects of who this person is. What are their values? What are their belief systems? What's important to them? You know, what really kind of gets them up on a morning? What do they get frustrated about? And when you do that and look into those aspects, you actually tend to find that there may be three to four different customers that you cater to, all of different age ranges, all have slightly different interests. But what does kind of unite them and what they do share is the same values the belief systems exactly yeah I think it's such a strong point and I think that's where I really want to focus the brand is properly with the values and the alignment of the brand because I think if someone say for example would like to buy something from a brand if that aligns with them they're more prepared to maybe save up to buy a piece or you know wait a little bit until they can buy a piece for example um so yeah I think values I would say they're in they're important in a brand. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I think as you alluded to with smaller based businesses, independent brands because we are prioritizing ethical and sustainable practices, we're prioritizing maybe smaller production runs, the retail price of these products is going to be slightly higher than what consumers might be used to on the high street or from fast fashion brands which is to be expected you know we have been accustomed to cheap fashion for far too long and these smaller businesses and independent brands like yourself are breaking through that narrative and kind of showing that this is the normal this is what they this is kind of where things should be so in terms of building the brand and bringing Babetta to life did you work with any vendors, any service providers? You know, who was there to help you take this from just inception to, you know, tangible reality? Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people I could sort of mention or thank and so many people have helped me build the brand. Um, I think a couple of key points of the brand. I did work with a business coach for the first probably three or four months of just why I was creating the idea. So I hadn't even got the name at this point, um, but just when I thought, right, I kind of want this brand, I feel as though it helped me sort of just deep dive a bit more into my customer and really just get me thinking and sort of come up with inspiration. So it definitely was helpful and taught me a lot looking back. Um, and then of course, like my manufacturer, I've worked with a few manufacturers, um, but the manufacturer I'm with at the moment She's definitely helped me a lot. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that have been a part of the journey and have definitely helped me like pre-launch and post-launch as well. What advice would you give to a founder who is, you know, they're thinking about working with a specialist? It could be that they're thinking, right, I want to 
you know, source some fabrics, but I really need to outsource that to a sourcing agent or I need to work with a seamstress and I need to obviously outsource that or I want to invest in a business coach or a consultant. What advice would you give them in taking those steps? Because it does take a lot to you know, invest time is one thing, but investing our savings and our earnings on making a business a reality is when things start to feel tangible. It's when we're actually taking clear action steps towards seeing this outcome. So it can take a lot. It can, you know, there can be self-limiting beliefs that come and shine through that tell us we don't need to do this. And, you know, that it's not going to work out and, and whatever else they might kind of creep in and say to us, would you give any advice to to new founders who are looking to, you know, take the leap? Yeah, I would say be very careful about what you do invest your money in. I think at the start, I probably wasted a lot of the money that I'd saved and invested in things I thought were going to be good. And looking back, it didn't really add the value to the business or myself that I needed or I thought it would. So I would really be careful with the money I feel like I'd really take your time to build a relationship with someone before maybe investing in that service or having them and maybe look as well at sort of um other people they've worked with if they align again with your values you want to work with people who genuinely believe in you believe in your business idea and genuinely want to help you and I feel like then yes you can invest your money in that person and you know that they're really for you and really want it to work out and it can kind of work both ways you've actually got a nice relationship going on so yeah I'd say just take your time before deciding to really invest in something yeah I love that I think as you alluded to it's important to have a good vibe you need to get on with that person yeah. and you need to get a good feel about them and that you're going to be able to kind of see this as maybe a long-term relationship especially with the likes of factories if yeah. they're somebody that you're going to be working with for future collections time after time, you want to make sure that you get a good feeling. And I've worked with founders in the past who have, you know, had a meeting with a factory and they've, they've said to me, you know, they tick all of the right boxes, but just something just didn't feel right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I say, listen to your intuition. If it's yeah. saying something doesn't feel right. I you just know. Yeah. Yeah, you just know with things like that. And I think it doesn't mean that, that you know, they're not a good manufacturer or they're not. Sincere. Sometimes they're just not the right one for you and that's fine. And you might not be the right customer for them. Like it's a two-way thing. I feel like you're either, it works or it doesn't, you know, and it's fine if it doesn't. I always say, don't be afraid to ask questions as well. You know, make sure you really get a full understanding of how they work, how they price, just really making sure that you have all of the information because we don't necessarily need time to make a decision if you've spoken to a factory and you've got all of the information it's not that you need more time it's that you might need more information to know if it's the right one for you and once you have that and you can then say okay I can now look objectively and say yes they tick all the right boxes or no they you know they don't hit my criteria and I'm not willing to compromise on that and when it comes to factories being open to speaking to you know maybe three or four maybe even more different options so that you can weigh up and actually use all the information that you now have to say right cool these fit my criteria these don't I can put them to one side and now it's kind of deciding and shortlisting from from the options that I've got how did you source your factory I know founders often find that probably one of the hardest parts is looking for your factory and looking for your for your raw materials I would probably say so yeah how did you find yours and what was that process like 
So I have worked with a few people. So the first manufacturer I worked with, I found online. Um, secondly, I then worked with um, a seamstress who I found through Instagram, um, who worked for another brand. Um, and then I think the other couple were either Instagram or online as well. I think Instagram was quite good. I found Instagram to be quite good for sort of like smaller manufacturers or individual seamstresses, for example, um, rather than big manufacturers or manufacturing abroad. Um, so yeah, just loads and loads of research. I did pay at the beginning someone, I think it was a hundred pounds for a big spreadsheet with loads of manufacturers on and I didn't use a single one so oh no yeah so that was really <laughs> worthwhile um I think just taking time and just researching but I did I have found Instagram good yeah I I always say there's no secret there's no kind of like magic part of the internet that people don't know about that has all of the factories on it it just takes time it just takes getting in the trenches searching looking on google looking on instagram looking on tiktok looking on linkedin and yeah. just really taking the time to have a look through websites look yeah. through you know send emails exactly and i feel like you probably i don't know there probably are people out there who've worked with a manufacturer and they've been great and they've stuck with them forever but i feel like you've probably got to trial and error a couple as well get samples made um and yeah you can see from there really definitely i think your first i would confidently say your first maybe two collections will be a lot of trial and error I think your whole business journey will be trial and error and trying something seeing if it works if it doesn't that's okay move on if it does great double down on that and just trialing and testing and I think your first collection is very much about having a, a minimum viable product out there to find out what people like what sizes you're selling the most of, you know, where in the world you're selling the most units and then being able to use that data to think, okay, cool, this is going to now inform my next collection and our next collection. And it's definitely, um, yeah, just a game of, of testing and experimenting and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. All of your places are handmade in England. Was this a conscious step that you took to be responsible as a brand or was it kind of a bit of a happy accident? Yeah, how did that look in terms of, I guess, sustainability? Yeah, so I really, really wanted the brand to be made in England. I just really wanted that on the tags. I just think it kind of, I don't know, seals sort of the luxury vibe that I'm going for with the brand. Um, so yeah, I think ethically it made sense. I, I want to know sort of who is making the garments. Um, is everyone treated well? Is everyone paid fairly? that sort of stuff and then also from like a transparency point of view so it just means that being made in the UK I can then visit the factory so you know I've got like a relationship with them in person face to face um I can also go and get content but yeah it was was conscious I did want to to be made in England as you say being able to go and visit is is really worth its weight in gold um it doesn't mean to say that you can't do that if it's not internationally it just comes at often a higher cost um but yeah I, I think there's so many there's so many pros and cons both sides to either sourcing Definitely. locally so sourcing internationally looking at the past year obviously you hit your, your your first year milestone so looking back over the past year what have been your biggest challenges I think I mean there's been a lot but I think probably the biggest overall challenge would just be how to navigate having a business like 
how do you do that? I think is the big question because I just think there's not necessarily like a blueprint of it. And I think everyone's journey is so different. Obviously, yes, you can learn a lot from reading books and watching YouTube and podcasts and things like that. But sometimes you feel like you've got challenges that you don't feel like anyone else has had. And it's not necessarily that they haven't. I mean, I'm sure they have or people have had similar. But I think, for example, with me like working full time and stuff still, I've thought, how do I balance this? Or, you know, where do I sort of find information about this particular thing out? So I think it's just your own journey of having a business. I think sometimes you can look and think no one else has had this specific journey. So am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it right? Um, but I think, yeah, I've probably just got to trust in your own journey, I suppose. Um, and then I think the other challenge was just sorting out the stock sort of situation because I really didn't have much stock when I launched initially. Um, and then a few bits sold out and I was changing manufacturers. So that was kind of a challenge as to how do I really draw traction to the brand? So I thought it was really interesting that you said around just navigating a business in general, because I'd say anyone who has a business will relate to that. It doesn't need to be product, doesn't need to be fashion, just any business. And it can be a, a huge shock to the system, especially if you've always worked in a corporate setting or if you've always been in education always been employed it's very much a whole new world when you're given kind of a blank diary and you're now expected to plan out your week and you know make sure that you're taking daily steps that are going to move you forward that are going to keep that needle moving and yeah it can be really overwhelming for people it can be really overwhelming for for most of us what would you say would be I guess your biggest piece of advice if you could give any of this is what I did to navigate that journey. And yes, I faced various different challenges with that, but this is this is what I used as, as my crutch to kind of get me through when it was hard. Yeah, I think it's probably just realizing that I don't need to rush. I think a lot of the time you feel like, oh, but people are waiting on me. Like I've got to launch this. I've got to have product to sell and stuff. But I think actually, if, I, if you look at the very big picture, and where I would like to be, nobody's actually going to remember my first year of business, really. So no one's really going to remember that I didn't have that stock or I didn't quite do this or my content wasn't great or whatever it might be. Trust the process and just to keep going with it. So whatever I do, I just think I'm not going to stop, even if I just do one thing each day towards the business. Taking time, doing things properly and however long it takes, it takes. Yeah, I think that's really important and really valuable advice because slow progress is still progress it doesn't necessarily mean to say that because you're not moving at the rate of knots that you're not moving forward you are it's just that you know things don't happen overnight these businesses that do see that kind of flash in the pan overnight success might have been working on this for years behind the scenes and and you don't actually see from a consumer consumer perspective how much has been put into a business I always use Gymshark and as, as an example, just because we have, a lot of us have seen the growth kind of happen in front of our faces because it was, you know, it's been a very kind of, I wouldn't, again, I would say quick success, but it hasn't because it, it's been from Ben Francis working in his mum's, I think it was like his mum's spare room. He was sewing t-shirts to now like this multi-billion dollar enterprise that it is. And that has worked from the ground up. And so many people will not have seen those beginning stages 
where Ben Francis was building the business. He was going to Body Power Expos to present his pieces. He was sending stuff out to, you know, quote unquote influencers. I I think that they were maybe one of the first brands to do the influencer marketing type side of things. And yeah, you you see what the business is now, but so many people would have kind of disregarded those first maybe even five years of the business so I think it's really important that you say that because yeah it's going to take time it's going to take you know showing up consistently every day just taking one small action that's going to move you forward and yeah I think that's really valuable advice because yeah the work that you're doing now is ultimately going to present the business that you have in three six twelve months time what would you say that your biggest highlights have been? What are those moments where you thought, yeah, this is all making sense. I'm you know, feeling really proud of my achievements and I guess have made the journey worth it. Yeah, I think probably there has been quite a few highlights, like a lot of nice times and stuff. Um, I think one was definitely the launch event that I did. So I did a launch party. This was back in... 2022 now just before I launched the brand um and it was kind of like a lot of family and friends and even some people bought a ticket that weren't like I didn't know who they were um which was really nice as well so that was a really nice event I had it in Harvey Nichols in Leeds um so I felt like it kind of all come together and yeah it was just a lovely night so that was definitely a highlight and something I'll always look back on and then I think a highlight for anyone with a clothing brand is probably their first sale I feel like just nothing beats that feeling um so yeah they're probably a couple that I can can point out what is the biggest lesson that you've learned throughout this journey, whether it's kind of a personal lesson that you've learned as a founder, as an individual, as a professional, or in retrospect to the business itself? Think from sort of like a practical thing is get your trademark before you launch your business, because that caused me a lot of headache. I have done two (laughs) separate episodes on working like speaking to founders who have both talked about their own journey with trademarking and their own kind of challenges around that so yeah it's one of the biggest first pieces of of advice I give founders is once you've decided on your name and you can be 100% sure that it is available hasn't already been trademarked then put your application in if you need support obviously get support but get it in and get it secured because yeah the the worst thing in the world would be to either not be able to use that name because it's already been taken or to be in a situation where you're getting that cease and desist letter because it's already been marked by someone else yeah exactly what were your challenges so the brand originally was babetta just babetta by itself and which is what i tried to trademark but it did get um sort of opposed and then that's sort of a whole whole nother story and I feel like I could have fought it and I was pretty confident that I would have won actually because the other company that did oppose it was completely different and everything but I just kind of weighed up you know actually what am I more bothered about sort of keeping the name and I know that it's sort of like a year-long journey so in terms of like writing your defenses and maybe having to go to court in the end and stuff it's sort of like from the initial point of being opposed to having an outcome it's about a year-long process and I thought 
is that worth it with me already having quite a lot going on? So I decided, you know what, I'm going to withdraw that one. Um, and then I applied for the Better Blakeman. Um, and since then, I've actually, that is now trademarked, thankfully. And since then, I decided I actually prefer that name. So we're going to stick with the Better Blakeman going forwards. I feel like it's a bit like Bottega. People will still call yeah. it the Better um, but obviously, yeah, full name is now Bavetta Blakeman. So that's why the name sort of changed or sort of got added on to as well um, during this year. So, yeah. Sometimes these situations can turn out as a bit of a happy accident. You know, they are a challenge yeah. and they seem like the worst thing in the world at the time. And then actually it can sometimes turn out for the best. And I always think even if there are setbacks, there are challenges, there are roadblocks along the way they're not a failure that it doesn't mean that things aren't going to work out it just means that you have to try a different avenue or this is ultimately teaching you something it's showing you something and it's making you stronger as a founder and I always say you never actually really fail I don't like to say fail because I agree things always teach us stuff but I think you never really quote unquote fail until you decide right I'm giving up and throwing in the towel and done yeah yeah, exactly. I agree with that. I think that's the only way you can fail, which is why I just think if there's one thing I pledge, I pledge to just not give up with it. So <laughs> yeah, amazing. I love that. I think it's it's one of those I often speak to founders who say, you know, I I, I want to give this my all. I'm not I'm not going to give in. And it's it's one of those being able to kind of look back when we're 80 and we're in our rocking chair and our family's around us and we can say you know I did that I built my business and hopefully if you've given it everything that it needs you can say it built this enterprise it built this you know I I did this and I did that and I was worn by whoever and being able to kind of look at all those achievements and accolades along the way but also to be able to say I never gave up and I think there's so many businesses that you can look at that from and there's so many stories of founders and big businesses that we buy from now not necessarily fashion businesses that just kept going even when things weren't working and that's why they're now you know what we see today you know brands like McDonald's Nike they've really kind of worked through those periods of of hardship and that's why they're now you know household names that that we buy from every day awesome so if you were to look from the perspective of a new founder looking back over your journey and maybe even looking into kind of the future and the the present now, what tools have best helped you get through that first year and that you'll continue using moving forward? This could be um, software and actual kind of tangible elements that you've used to build the business, but it could also be mindset. It could also be, um, yeah, just an approach that you've taken that has helped you get through. So I think my number one tool is people, honestly. I think like friends and family, first of all, I think just having that support, having those people to just, do you know what, if you need a break from the business, they're there. If you need help taking content, they're there. Having those people is amazing. I think also separate to that building a network of people who are like-minded or have their own business is really helpful as well I did a course last year and that was really helpful actually mainly because of just the community so I think there's about 50 founders on there everyone's got a business completely different um all different types of businesses but just having those conversations having that group chat of someone to ask or you know if you need an accountant or you need something else someone's there to always help you so I think they've been key just having that community 
of separate people I think is nice and then I think sort of physical tools Canva CapCut they've saved me <laughs> um, love those and I also think having a light is another thing I would say so either a ring light or I've just got like a softbox sort of light but for making content yeah investing in maybe like a light or something then you can do content at home um and a tripod just those sort of things that maybe have a really small initial investment but just being quite creative with what you do with them I think yeah, definitely. I think it's about utilizing the tools and the resources that you have in those early stages. And when you're maybe saving investment for various other aspects, you know, product being one of the main ones, you might want to be a bit more savvy with other things. So instead of investing you know, thousands of pounds into a marketing budget and, you know, working with photographers and editors and all of that kind of stuff, you might want to just, as you say, invest in a ring light, invest in a good camera um, and just be able to take advantage of your own skills and maybe learn a new skill as well and get better at working with the camera and like you say about community and having like-minded individuals around you because being in business can be really lonely and isolating at times so if you have those people around you who just get it they understand what you're going through they know your challenges they know the highs and yeah they can just be there to support so yeah I love that Definitely. Yeah. I think it's nice to have the two separate sort of networks. So like your business, maybe network, and then you've got your friends and family support, because I think they both offer different things. I think both are important. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but I think friends and family, especially if they don't have businesses or they don't, they're not in the creative industry, they might not fully get it sometimes. And although you can say, oh, it's been hard because I've had to do this and that and, um, you know, I've had this experience, they might be able to, you know, show some compassion and, and understand, but they actually, they have no obligation to be able to support you and really fully understand you and what you're going through so if you have that network of like-minded people or if you are part of a mastermind or you know as you say you are with um like an incubator type thing you are part of people part of a community of people who yeah are completely an understanding of, of what it is that you're doing day to day so yeah that's that's really important I would say founders of all walks of life and any industry you all need that community of people who get it and who you can say you know can we have a quick chat today it's been it's been tough or I want to share a win and yeah having that is is yeah just super important if you could give new founders one piece of advice for their first year in their fashion business just one piece of like you know if I can give you anything to take home today this is the one piece of advice I would give, what would that be? Do not stop. I think you can look at creating a business as such like a mammoth task. It just seems so overwhelming. But I think breaking it up and then also looking back and reflecting where you've come from, I think is such a good way to sort of move forward. So I think, for example, if your goal is, I don't know, to be stocked in Harrods, it might feel like, well, how am I ever going to get there? But actually breaking it down and like I say, just doing at least one thing every day just towards that goal, you will get there. Like scientifically, you will get there. It's like that whole thing of, you know, atomic habits and becoming 1% better every day. So yeah, I think just do not stop. Amazing. I love that. I love the reference to atomic habits as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Um, so where can people find you online and how can people buy from you and buy your products? So they're available for pre-order right now. Um, available on my website, which is babettablakeman.co.uk. So yeah, they're available for pre-order and they will be being shipped March, April. So product will arrive to you in April. Um, and then you can also find the brand online. It's at Babetta Blakeman on TikTok, Instagram and YouTube as well. We have just started a YouTube channel a few months ago. So yeah, posting on there once a month. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for chatting to me today and for sharing some of your wisdom as your first year in business as a fashion founder. And yeah, I will catch the rest of you in the next one. Thank you very much for having me.